That's an awesome idea. That as we've gathered in the Lord's house this morning, that we're offering ourselves back to Him. That, God, you've given us this one life. We're thrilled that we get to live it, and we're giving it back to you. Do anything that you want to with us. It's a powerful idea, and I hope that as we worship today and study the Scriptures together, I hope that God will do great things in your life. That He'll give you the nudge that you need. That his, he'll warm your heart, that he'll give you a vision of what he wants from your future. He'll bless your family. I hope that today as you've gathered in God's house, that God will get a hold of this church family. And that when we scatter in just a little bit, he will send us out to do wonderful things. You are a blessing to me, and I love to get to preach to you today. We're beginning a new sermon series called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. We're talking about Kingdom living, right here in the middle of the American dream. So maybe for the next three weeks when somebody says, Hey John, how you doing? Maybe your answer should be, Just living the dream, brother. I am just living the dream. As a reminder that we are trying to understand how to be part of the kingdom of heaven in the middle of a context where everybody around us is searching for this American dream, this elusive hope. And we know that you can find what you're looking for in the person of Jesus Christ and the life he gives you. How you doing? You're living the dream. Let me pray for you. And we'll study the scriptures together. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, it is, it's humbling to know that our nation stands on your globe as one of many. Father, that you speak every tongue. That you know every mind and every heart. Father, that you see the hearts of the rulers of every kingdom. Father, we cannot imagine managing the global creation the way that you do. And Father, in your will, you've decided that we would be born in this time and in this place and that we would live in this nation, that this would be our mission context, that our calling, Lord, would be that we would show brothers and sisters here the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And Father, I pray that over the next three weeks you would equip us for that task. Father, I pray that you would Show us the idols that we raise in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would show us any obstacles we place in our path. And God, I pray that you would set our church free over the next three weeks to be the men and women that you want us to be, to be missionaries right here in the United States of America. Father, that we would be able to bring the gospel to people who are dying and lost and hurting and helpless and need your touch. I pray, God, that you'd open our minds this morning as we study the scriptures together and ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those three words come from the Declaration of Independence. And I thought I'd share that with you because they're pretty well known, but I thought we'd read them together. So let's start with a little bit of a history lesson. I know it's summertime, and most of you are not enrolled in summer school, although some of you are. But let's start with a little bit of a history lesson. Let's read from the Declaration of Independence. Robert, you want to help me out here, buddy? So we're going to read this together. I'll read it. You just listen. But you probably learned this as a kid. I'm curious. When I was a kid, we had to memorize some of this. Did you, had to, did you have to memorize the preamble or the Declaration of Independence when you were a kid? There you go. A lot of us did. So here we go. This might jog your memories. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. 
that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. So these statements from the Founding Fathers essentially began, it's kind of the, became the red carpet, the warm-up act for their statement of their declaration of why they were declaring independence from Britain. And they went on from here to say that it is almost always better, if you can manage it, to not destabilize a government, to do the best you can in the system that you're in. In other words, they're saying, hey, we really don't want a revolution. We shouldn't have to start a new government. However, they went on in the Declaration of Independence to list all the roadblocks, all the reasons that they were taking this radical step, all the ways they thought that being governed by Britain at the time kept them from being able to pursue what they saw as their God-ordained rights to have life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. So they took a radical step, and they were ready to see these roadblocks gone. And I wonder if we have roadblocks in the way of pursuing the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that God has in mind for us. I wonder what obstacles are out there. And for the next couple of weeks, I want to explore them. But back to these most familiar, back to these most familiar words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some people have said that this is one of the most famous sentences in the English language. Abraham Lincoln used it as he tried to rescue the nation and lead us through one of our most tumultuous times. Dr. Martin Luther King used it in his I Have a Dream speech. Probably many of you remember his use of these words. But these three ingredients, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they've sort of informally come together to create this this hopeful dream of this American dream. And sometimes we can't even put our finger on it, but it is what's driving us right now. So for the next three weeks, I want to preach about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And there's three reasons that I want to preach this sermon series. I'm not a politician. You guys know that. I'm not extremely politically minded. I do believe in the importance of government. And I'm proud of our country. I love our nation. I'm a patriot like you are. But I want to tell you the three reasons that I think it's important for me to preach this sermon series. The first one is this. And honestly, I believe our nation is hurting right now. I mean, we are a mess. There's so much, and it's not, even, it's not even just the violence and just the politics. There's just this cloud of discontent and anger and violence that's sort of flowing through our bloodstream right now. It's a mess. Our nation's a mess. And I can't help but think that the church can behave and be part of the healing, part of the solution. So one of the reasons that I really felt like I needed to spend three weeks working through the American dream with my brothers and sisters is because I want the nation that I love to see better days. I want in my lifetime and in my children's lifetime, I want to see love in our hearts and I want to see neighbors healing again. I want to see the digital social media a peaceful place again. I want to see schoolyards a happy and safe place for people. I just feel like our nation is a mess. We've become so polarized that you're either Republican or you're Democrat. You're either for or against every single thing that finds its way into a news feed. 
and I just think it's ridiculous and it's time for somebody to say, hey, that's enough. So I'm going to say that from Pedal, and I'm sure everything's going to be fine tomorrow in the nation, right? So that's enough. I've decided. That's enough. We're good now. Y'all can get the word out. Somebody tweet that so that we'll know. That's enough. The second reason I want to preach this is because, you know, regardless of what you think about the American dream, and we probably have different ideas of it, this is your mission context. Yeah, I mean, I know that we've had a lot of stress in the last several years about where are we in the scheme of nations. Are we better than everybody else? Are we not better? Should we be proud of ourselves? We've had lots of questions about what it is to be American, to be a patriot, to be proud of ourselves, and yet, yet not be arrogant and think that we are somehow better in our equality before God than the other nations around us. So regardless of what you think about that, this is your mission context. Here's what I mean. If we were going to go on a mission trip to Burkina Faso to help Mike Knapper expand his ministry, planting churches or digging wells, if we're going to get on, a, on an airplane with old Lyle Rainey over here and go, who knows where he's globetrotting next, right? And we were going to go with Lyle Rainey on a mission trip, Lyle's going to sit us down, and he's going to explain where we're going. And he's going to tell us about the customs and the habits and the hopes and the ideas of the people so that we don't make a mess of our week of ministry. He's going to teach us how they think and behave so that we will know how to present the gospel to them. You're probably going to do that, right, Lyle? Is that a good idea, Lyle? Lyle says it's a good idea, and if he says that it is, so I'm, I'm safe. This is your mission context. When we walk out those doors, you're back on mission. You're looking for opportunities to minister to people for the glory of Jesus Christ. You're sharing the gospel here. And the mission context that you are in, in the United States of America, until God calls you to foreign soil, you're operating in a mission context where people are here in pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're hoping for the American dream. And I think it is our responsibility as believers today to understand our mission's context and to be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show you how God can offer you some things that you deeply want but are never going to be satisfied in until you find His kingdom, not our kingdom. The third reason that I want to preach the sermon series, not only because I think we're hurting and I'm tired of it, and not only because this is your mission context and Carterville's on mission for Jesus, so we've got to get this right, but the third reason I want to preach this is because it's a good time for us to remind ourselves that every believer on the earth has dual citizenship. You have two passports. One is blue from the United States of America, and the other is crimson red from the blood of Jesus Christ, and you belong to the kingdom of heaven. You live here, and I hope you make the nation better. I hope that you become the best leaders. I hope that you, when you take civic offices or if you serve in the military or just when you help love our neighbors, I hope you make our nation better. I hope you're the best patriots there have ever been. Christians probably should be. But I want to remind us that we have a dual citizenship. We also belong to the kingdom of heaven. And that is what defines us to our core. And I want to remind us that our love of country and our nationalism can never become an idol for us. Like We've got to remember that if, if our American ideals, if life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, if our politics ever come in conflict with Christ and His mission in the kingdom of heaven, we need to be quick to demonstrate that we are kingdom people first. And then we can be healing to our nation. But if we get those backwards, then we're just going to continue the antagonism. And so for those three reasons... I want to share about life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Life. Today we talk about life. 
God's the author of life. In the very beginning of Scripture, there's darkness and there's nothing. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And with them created, you get a snapshot of the earth being formless and void. There's no life in it and it's empty and darkness covers the surface of the deep. And then the Spirit of God begins to move. And when the Spirit of God begins to move, things become ordered and formed and life begins to emerge. He gives you light and dark and water above and water below and then raises up land. All of this so he can begin giving life. He gives plants and bugs and animals and birds and fish and quadrupeds and people. God fills this place with life. And in a beautiful moment, in Genesis 2, you have this powerful description of God forming man from the, from the dirt and then breathing life into his crowning creation to his sons and his daughters. I need you to understand that God gets life like nobody else. And and I need you to understand, secondly, not only does God understand life, He is the very source of it. Like It's a powerful idea, but it's almost to me as if the breath that fills my lungs is on loan to me from the Lord. And that if God ever said, I'm finished, and He stops the breath from me, I'm finished. There is no life for me without my dependence on God who gave me life and breath. God invented life, created life, and gives life. Another thing that I want you to know is that God wants you to have life. So here's the thing. When I was a teenager... I thought that God was irritable and angry all the time, that nothing was good enough for Him, and that His mission in life was to make me behave enough that I would have no fun and a miserable life. And my mission in life was to figure out how far I could go against His plan to still have enough fun to make it tolerable. That's what I thought. I was a handful as a kid, let me say. As I've grown up, I've learned that's not God's heart at all. I want everybody in this church family to understand this. If there's anybody in this world who wants you to enjoy the life you have, it's the God who gave it to you. Now, by enjoyment, he might not mean blow it. But if there's anybody that wants you to delight in the creation that God's given you, it's him. Like, what artist paints a picture so he can hide it in a closet and nobody could enjoy it? Do you think that God made this wonderful creation and then put us as his images, his representatives on it, and then told us to fill it up and rule it so that we would be miserable doing so? Absolutely not. There is nobody who wants you to make more of your life than the living God who gave you that life. And I want you to be convinced of that before you leave today. Jesus came and he healed and he taught. He showed us who God was. And in a way, he showed us what life was supposed to look like. And in the middle of that context, Jesus taught in John chapter 10 that we belong to the Father like sheep. And he's our good shepherd. That he loves us and is laying down his very life for us. And in that context, Jesus tells us something very important. He said, I need you to know that my enemy, the adversary, the devil, he has come to the earth so he could steal, kill, and destroy. Let me translate that. The devil would like, ultimately, to take life from you or make your life miserable. Now, what I have seen is he has a catchy plan for that. He starts by making it awesome. Hey, let me show you how you can have a ton of fun. Trust me, this won't hurt you, a.k.a. eat from this tree. It will just make you wise. 
And as soon as he can get you to doubt the heart of God and the intent of God, as soon as he can demonstrate to you that his pathway is pleasurable, he hooks you on your passions and then he destroys your life. Jesus said the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus gives you a contrast. Jesus says, but I have come so that you could have life and that you could have life abundantly. That's the theme verse that my brothers and sisters use who lead our Life Recovered Recovery Ministry on Sunday nights. And for good reason. Because we need to be convinced that when Christ came and died, gave his life, he wasn't coming to make a scene or to waste himself. He was coming to give life to people. And he paid everything so that he could do it. In our context of the American dream, we're looking for life. In the 1600s, boats were loaded with Puritans, Quakers, with indentured servants who hoped to work belonging to another man until one day they could start their own tobacco farm and try to make ends meet. There were some people who were running from religious persecution on the continent. The Reformation and the Counter-Reformation had led to tons of bloodshed. Heads were rolling. And it depended from administration to administration whether you were the right religion or the wrong. And the boats were filling with people who wanted to come to the new world to find a better life. They wanted a chance to live without fear of a guillotine. They wanted an opportunity to live without someone trying to force them to be the wrong religion from their perspective. They wanted an opportunity to start over. Some of them came for financial reasons. There was an opportunity for them to make money and prosper. Some of them came because they were in trouble and they needed to start over on the other side of the ocean. But they all got on that boat because they wanted a fresh start, a new life. And I'm telling you that today if you need a new life, it is found in the living God who designed you and has done everything to give it to you. Our world today, we're still filled with this hope for new life. But even in this land that I love and am proud to serve, even in this nation that I think is the greatest nation on the earth, we don't have life figured out just yet. Let me pause for a minute. We live in a nation just right now where in the middle of our hurt, we're surrounded by wars, Murders. If you lived in Jackson, you watch a report of a murder every night. If there wasn't a murder in Jackson, they'll find one in Birmingham to tell you about because it's what we're watching for. We're killing each other as if life doesn't matter. We're murdering one another as if we're not the image of God. The sad things for me is we've taken the streets, the street wars, the gang violence. We decided that wasn't enough for us. We're finding warfare in our own schools. Like, we're, we're watching dozens of reports across a year where kids are shot in school. That's not a better life. That, that's not what God has in mind. That's not blessing the heart of God. Our suicide rates are through the roof right now because we feel pain and maybe because we've lost sight of how valuable it is that you have life in the image of God, and tons of people are hurting in our congregation, in our city, and all over our country today because of the epidemic of suicide or hopelessness. We have to have movements where we make signs to say Black Lives Matter 
and then respond to say blue lives matter. And the truth is both matter. The fact is they all matter. And it breaks my heart that any group of people, whether it's a minority or whether it's law enforcement or whether it's anybody, can honestly get to a point, and they both have legitimate points, where they say, I'm not sure that people value my life right now. People like me are killed recklessly, and it, somebody's got to notice. So we're here today to talk about life. And I'm telling you that even in the land that I love, I'm not sure that life is valued on all fronts as much as it should be. And I know that God has in His heart a beautiful vision of what it could look like and would look like if that component of the American dream, life, if it was realized by His people. I want to read two passages of Scripture to you today in addition to the ones I've shared so far. First, would you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy with me? We're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 30 today. That's right, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, let's read with verse 11 and following. So Moses is talking to the people of God, and here's what he says. Now what I'm commanding you today, it's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so that you should have to ask, who will ascend up to heaven to get it and proclaim it so that we can obey it? It is not beyond the sea, so that you would have to ask who will go across the sea and get it and proclaim it so that we can obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart, so you may obey it. Pause. The people of God, they'd been to Mount Sinai. They'd heard the Ten Commandments. Moses came down. He taught the things God shared. When Moses would go into the tent of meeting, he would come out and prophesy, preach, and teach. The people knew what God wanted. And I think we're in a similar spot. Just as Moses said to the people in the book of Deuteronomy, our problem is not that we don't know what God wants. The Word of God is right here. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. In fact, you have something they didn't have. You've got it in a book. You have it on your coffee table at your bedside and in your car. In fact, you've got it on your phone buzzing in your pocket every day reminding you to get back to your daily Bible reading plan. The Word of God's not far. It, our problem is not that we don't know what God wants. I mean, the challenge for us is doing it. But the fact of the matter is that God has already moved heaven and earth to bring His Word to you. Paul the Apostle uses this verse in Romans chapter 10 to let you know that from his perspective, when we said, it's not like somebody's got to go to heaven and bring it down, and Paul said, Jesus did that, he was from heaven and brought it down. It's not like somebody's got to go down into the abyss and bring it up. Jesus did that, he died, was in the tomb, came out preaching. Paul says that the church today has everything we need to know from God about what God wants. If you want a new life today, like if you're sitting here and you're saying, Ben, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I'm far from God. I'm living a selfish life. There's a wake of damage behind me. My wife, my kids, my workplace. I can't get my temper in check. Like I, I'm one of these people that I just keep barking off about everything. If you're far from God today, it's probably not because you don't know that God loves you and wants you back. It's just because you've never decided that now's the day you're going to do something about it. In Deuteronomy, this is what the Bible says in, in verse 15. 
See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. That's a very simple choice, isn't it? Read verse 16. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him and to keep His commands, His decrees, and His laws. And then you will live and you will increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. As simple as I can make it, in Deuteronomy, Moses looked at his congregation. He said, I'm going to put a pathway to life right in front of you today. God loves you. God, God wants you. I mean, when you physically die, God just keeps giving you life. He raised you from the dead. You live with him forever. While you're going through life now, whether you're struggling or whether you're thriving, God's with you walking through that journey, giving you life. But Moses says, I'm going to lay it in front of you, brothers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's right here. He wants you to walk with Him and obey His commands. I'm giving you life if you want it. It's simple. Decide, do you want the author of life? You want to walk His path? And a lot of us today, we're sitting here and we're going, yeah, I kind of do. I know I need to. I've never been a very religious person. And a lot of people are going to be surprised if they find out that I'm ready to start following God. But I am. I want a new life. I'm ready for something better and as you hear Moses telling Israel, listen, pick God, you're thinking, I need to do that. Well, look in verse 17. So let me show you what it looks like to choose death from Moses' perspective. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, now let me pause, the gods you're going to be drawn away to worship are not going to be Baal and Molech. They're going to be money or popularity or social status esteem of your neighbors, laziness, selfishness, worshiping yourself, worshiping sexuality, sex, or relationships. These are the gods we're bowing down to in America today. Violence, strength. Well, choose. Do you want to do things God's way or their way? Well, in verse 18, I declare to you this day that you'll certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So here's a pretty powerful moment in verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life or death, blessings or curses, so now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. The Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to know a few things. God wants you to have life. I want you to know that his commands are not here to punish you. Every child in the church, listen to this. Every young adult in the church, listen to this. The commands and boundaries that God gives us, they are not to hurt you or restrict your happiness. They are to give you ultimate happiness. They are to safeguard you. God, God wants you to have a life that is blessed and is rich and is deep and is meaningful. And when you butt up against one of God's commands and it conflicts with your pleasure and you say, no, God is trying to make me unhappy. You are wrong. He is right. Scoot back and look at it from his perspective. He wants you to have a long and happy marriage. So he's telling you not to chase after every woman that comes your way in high school. He wants you to be clear and sober-minded, so he's telling you not to become a drunk in high school, in college, not to start taking pills, not to start smoking hooch, and not to give your life to prescription drugs or any other kind of drugs. Come on! God's not hurting you. His commands are for you. Children, 
Adults, hear me. If you don't like a command that God's given you, and you start to toy in your mind and think that He must be trying to make you unhappy, you just are seeing it backwards. He's actually trying to lead you to a better place. Trust Him. Like He's the one that's giving life out. Deuteronomy chapter 30 teaches us this. I'm going to say, gang, our nation needs some people right now that can bring healing, who can walk in God's commands, who can read the book of Proverbs and learn how to not add a log to the fire of an argument, who can realize who's a fool that doesn't need to be argued with and who's a wise man who I can reason with. I think our nation today needs people who are not quick to anger, who are fast to show mercy. We need wisdom. We need peace. We need peacemakers. We need people who will follow the plan of God. And my charge to you this Sunday morning is in the pursuit of life, I want to ask you to seize hold of God because He dreams life for you. Our forefathers came here because they wanted a better life, a new one. And I want to close today's sermon by reading to you about a new life that Jesus has for you. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a religious guy who was very, very religious, but he was not right with God. Maybe like some of us today. He's a good guy, he's behaving, but he was far from the Lord. Verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher who's come from God. No one could perform signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied to him and said, Well, truly, I'm going to tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And this is where we, in Christianity, get the idea of being born again or a new life in Jesus. The scriptures teach us that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. They're being changed from the inside out. This is where that first comes to us. Verse 4, how can somebody be born when they're old, Nicodemus said. Well, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I'm telling you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. And in my mind, I believe that he's talking about that you're born on the earth, but then one day you go into the waters of baptism confessing Christ and the Spirit baptizes you and cleanses you of your sins. Your name is written in the book of life. You are regenerated and born again. Verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't look any different, but God is moving in you. And as he blows you out those doors, I hope he sends you to heal a nation that's hurting. To redeem lost people, to bring peace to arguments, to level your household's head, and to give us a pathway we can walk towards the future. Verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things truly. I'm going to tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we've seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I spoke to you about some earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
the Son of Man. In other words, if you want to know what's going on in heaven, you better listen up because I, Jesus Christ, have just come from there. I'm about to tell you, Nicodemus, tune in. And I want you to hear these next verses and we'll wrap up the sermon. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Word of God and to the pursuit of life, however God's telling you to. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up a serp, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In other words, back in the day there was a plague of snakes. The healing was that God told Moses to make a staff with a crossbar, put a bronze serpent on it, lift it up. Everybody who put faith in that and looked up and trusted God would be healed. And Jesus is predicting that later in this gospel he'll be lifted up on a stick, on a cross, and he'll die. And everyone who would look up to him and place faith in his action would be healed and given life, born again. Verse 15, that everyone who believes on him will have eternal life. I want to tell you that it is a good dream, the American dream. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I, I want it, you want it, we want it. But I'm telling you that there's an itch in your heart for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that goes deeper than any president, congress, or judicial system could ever give you. There is no military that could win it for you, and there is no country so fertile that it could deliver it to you. The American dream, it gnaws at a hole in your soul that only God can fill. Ultimately, the life, the liberty, the pursuit of happiness that you're looking for can only be found in the gospel of a God who loves you, died to redeem you, and is inviting you back into His family. And today, I want to ask you to do a few things with me. First of all, evaluate your heart. Are you loving God and following Him? Have you chosen life? Moses said, I, I put life and death in front of you. Choose. Are you choosing God today? Or are you chasing idols? Are you chasing after the common idols of the American dream? Or have you chosen the Lord? If you are not saved this morning, far from God, not born again, if, if you just haven't started your Christian journey and you don't know how, I'm asking you today, just come to the Lord. Choose life. It's as simple as that. No complex forms to fill out. I'm asking you today, choose life. Today, you came to church because you hoped to meet God who is bigger than what you see and experience with your eyes and your hands. And 